Welcome to a new edition of the Uplift Start the Week, where we discuss subjects relevant to us women in an open and respectful manner. I am your host, Chani Schreibhand, founder and editor of the Uplift Jewish Women's Magazine. Hello, and this is another Uplift podcast where we talk about different things with so many different people from all over the world. And today we have a really special guest, and her name is Sarah Pachter. And I must tell you that this is an interview I've been really excited about because Sarah has written the most fabulous book. It's called, Is It Ever Enough? A Journey Towards Joyful Living. I'm just gonna show the book for those. I should really show it backwards. I don't know how to do that. But for those people who don't know about it, it's a really beautiful book. It's a full book. It's not like one of these like three page books. I think there's like 300, 400 pages in it. And the, the publisher is Feldheim. So if you want to get it, it's, it's for sale, but she's written a few books. So Sarah, hi. Hi, thank you so much, honey, for having me. It is such an honor to meet you, to see you, to be on this podcast. And you should know, I don't know if you can see in my living room, I have Uplift Magazine on the coffee table, which honestly, this is, I'm particular about what's on that coffee table. That means I think it's beautiful, both outwardly and inwardly. It's a fabulous magazine. So thank you. Thank you. You're really sweet. That made my day. Now the interview will be 100% easier. But... (laughs) But tell me a little bit, first of all, how did you get into writing? Where did it all start? You know, writing is a very solitary business. So let's hear how you started it. Well, it's funny. I actually really started mostly as a speaker. I was, you know, not inclined to write at all. I didn't, you know, I always say if I can write, anyone can write because I wasn't really inclined as a child. I didn't particularly like writing as a kid. I shouldn't say that on a podcast, but but you know um i really started as speaking and if you want to see like i don't know if you want to hear the transition from speaking into writing or if you just yeah, want yeah, to yeah so it started really i was living in new york i was speaking for a organization called the jewish enrichment center which is now i believe it's now olami i was traveling into manhattan twice a week giving lectures and you know when we moved to la we only had one child. So when we moved to LA, I would, you know, go teach at UCLA or I would teach for H or all these various organizations here. And it was pretty easy because I could put my son to sleep. I could get myself ready, be somewhere by 730. You know, he was still young and it was working out. And then, you know, as you know, we started to have more children. I have five kids today for Hashem. Thank, thank you, Hashem. Um, and he was getting older, his needs were more, baby's needs were more. And I found myself just saying no more and more and more. And it wasn't just that, it was also, you know, I I had also- Just stop that. So again, the, the children's needs were changing and I found myself just constantly having to say no. And additionally, at that point, I had been asked to do a teleconference on video from LA to New York City on a weekly basis. I declined that as well. I didn't feel comfortable at the time doing video. This was way before video was like a normal thing at all. And 
there I was just saying no, no, no. And so I started thinking to myself, you know, how can I still teach? How can I still impart Torah and try to give inspirational and motivational messaging if I can't physically be there in person? And so I said, you know, maybe I'll, I'll try writing. So I did. I, I wrote an article. I remember the first article I wrote, I sent into the Jewish press and it was like from a movie. I'm telling you, I, I remember I submitted the article onto their submission page. It wasn't even like an email or anything. It was like, you know, here, submit what you want to write in this such and such amount of words, send it in five minutes later, I get a call from the editor in chief of the Jewish press. And he's like, is this Sarah Pachter? And I'm like, yeah, you know, and he says, man, was that you who just sent in that article? I said, yes. He says, well, if you have stuff like that, you send it directly to me. I'll put it in every time. And I'm thinking, and I wasn't, I wasn't confident as a writer. So I'm like, do they do this to everybody? You know what I mean? Like I was kind of like, oh, maybe this is what they do. Sometimes a natural <laughs> voice. I think that's very, very, very much about your writing. You're a very natural voice. You say a story oh, I'm that's so, so natural. Generous. Generous. <laughs> now I, I really find that. And it's because it's so naturally written, people really relate to it. It's not full of, you know, we're not going to grammatize. And it's not about that. It's about what you're saying. And it sounds like you're talking to them. And I think that's why it's so... So it resonates so well. I really feel it's funny that you say it's funny that you say that it, there's two things. It's funny that you say that it sounds like I'm talking to them because I actually think that speaking and writing are completely different skills, you know, when, and that was, a, it was a hard transition for me, even though I'm making it sound like, you know, oh, it was so easy and they wanted oh, it right away. You know, it, it was really tough for me. I had to learn the skill of writing. When you're talking, you got to be exuberant and you got to repeat and you've got to talk like you're having a conversation. And when you're writing, you need to sound like refined and like a professor with maybe a drop of personality. You know what I mean? And so, so it's hard. You, you know, you can't repeat and you got to be succinct and you got to just say it. And it's very, very different. So it was, it was, uh, I, were, I know you're saying there's talent there. But for me, I feel like it was a lot of hard work. It was a challenge. It's interesting. Uh, yes, I, I, need to, I mean, when I started this whole magazine, I really was not a writer. I never, I was brought up by a writer, but I wasn't a writer at all. And it was just something that I started for a different reason. And then because I started, I had to start writing. And all of a sudden, it was like a floodgate open. And I had so much to get down on these papers. And it's interesting right. because it's really shown a completely different side of myself. Like even in school, like you say, I was, I really was bad at English, but it's interesting how it opened up my whole, my whole mind and everything. I think it's oh, really, for sure. I mean, yeah, I think it's ahead, really sorry. important that women, you know, even if you're not, I, we keep on saying this, I say this at every single, I think every single podcast we get, we have the same message and it's always come. Be, don't be scared of the unknown. Just do it. Yes. You never know what that unknown will bring you. Exactly. And on that note, I have to tell you, it's exactly that overcoming that fear, which enabled me to write two books and to start speaking and to do all these kinds of things. Because here's, here's kind of what I think is like the core of life or the core of how to get yourself past 
where you are now and then get you to where you want to go. I think, and I truly believe everyone has strokes of brilliance. Everyone has creative ideas. Everyone has things that can really make a difference in the world. And then what happens? We have this genius idea. We have this creative thought and we hesitate. And instead of that hesitation, right? Instead of telling the boss the great idea or making the call that you need to make or sending you know, that email plus pressing click on that send, we hesitate. And in that moment of hesitation, that is where the critic inside of you says, who do you think you are? Yes. You think you can do that, right? Yes, and right. I have another question. That question is, who are you not? Who are you not to create? You've been given an ashama. You're a piece and of God. Given the talent. And it's a major thing to use these talents. You know, we're given them. We it's a gift. It's right. not it's not a throwaway, you know, it's a gift. And it's really it's amazing to use it. Okay, so now we we you know, I heard how you got to it. But now Harry, let's I, I I love the way you let's say, I mean, I know this is gonna appear in the next one, but let's say you're skiing holiday or something like that. It's amazing okay. to take these examples and how you really bring them into everyday life. So are you constantly looking for these things or do they come? That's such a great question. And you're not the first person that asked me that. I was actually talking to my editor who edits some of my work and she's brilliant. I tell her she's the magic wand. You know, I give her something and she just transforms. She said to me, she's like, how did you think of that? And I'm like, what do you mean? What? you don't think like that? And she's like, no, I never would have thought like that. So it's funny that you're saying, do I search out for it? No. Um, sometimes it happens. These ideas, these analogies, they happened in the darndest times, you know, like shop this afternoon when you can't write it down and somehow you got to remember, or, you know, I'm trying to fall asleep at night and I'm like, oh, I have to write that down, you know? And I, it sounds silly, but I do believe that when you have a stroke of creative thought, or you have an idea that you think has depth, or as I mentioned before, you have, you know, that brilliant idea or whatever it is, and you have something that you, you want to do something with, when you sit down and when you take a minute to write it down or do something active with it, it's actually a way of telling yourself, I, I'm important and I have value and my thoughts are important. And so it's really good for your self-esteem also, even if you end up doing nothing more than just writing it down or that initial step, it's just a way of letting yourself know, Hey, I have value. I had, I mean, we had a, I don't do it as much, but I'm going to again, do it. I should actually get you involved with it. But what I want to do is put together, we have such great writers in the magazine. We really do. And a lot of them have so much interest, you know, so many interesting things to say. And I thought that, you know, we could make like a group of all these writers and every so like once a month or something, just have prompts or something. And just as an exercise, because I really feel that sometimes just to expand on what you're thinking and think of it in a different way is, is a marvelous thing. And I really, you know, I see that in your work that you really expand and go completely you know, like, like you say, with the skiing off piece. You know, <laughs> you know really, when I, I remember, you know, every time we go skiing, I always have an article that I come home from that trip with just, I think the quiet and the being alone with yourself. I mean, I'm not alone. I'm skiing with my family, but 
in the actual moment, you're kind of by yourself skiing it's down. My dad, says, my dad says the same thing, by the way. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Really helps. <laughs> yeah, and I think the quiet when you I think really any time that you're in a quiet zone, whether it's on the slopes or in your home, when we remove distractions, we can really hear that inner voice, you know, of thought and of inspiration. And that's I think when it comes is when we're not busy, 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 and distracted, distracted, and the phone's ringing, and I got to answer this. It's it's those moments. It's I think it's really there all along. We just have to let it let and, it be you know let me ask you you say you have a family yes. Nairo, and yeah. it's not easy to find that quiet space in that <laughs> so what do you do do you make a calendar time this is my time to write or do you just as the day goes see how you're doing so that's that's an excellent question and yes there are five children and i have basically been expecting or nursing for the past you know 16 have, yeah. my son actually just turned 16 he just got his license yesterday which is amazing and terrifying all at once um and i also have uh, my youngest is two two years old so i have the gap I think, you know, I'm very, very, very structured with my time. I manage my time very well. If I didn't, there is no way I would have been able to do any sort of writing, um, especially during COVID. I mean, that was when everybody was home at all times. So what I do is I actually make a commitment to myself. It's actually kind of a funny story, if I can tell you. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was a, several years back. I was interviewing for a position as a teacher somewhere. And I didn't really want to do it because I didn't want to, to you'll under, I, I won't share why, but I didn't particularly okay. want to have the job anyways, but I went in and he asked me, he said, what is, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I said, well, I want to write a book. And he said, really, you want to write a book? He said, uh, how are you going to do that? And I answered him, looked him right in the eye. And I said, I'll write for 10 minutes a day. And he kind of laughed. He was like, okay, right? You know, how do you think that's going to get you where you want to go? 10 minutes. Well, I decided to commit to writing 10 minutes a day. Obviously, many times it turns into much more than that. But the way I kind of conquer my Yitzhahara or my, you know, not non-desire to work is I say, all right, 10 minutes, put a timer on. And if I do more, great, but I have to do at least 10 minutes. And that has yielded the two books that has yielded hundreds of articles. Thank God I've been published in mainstream media, such as the LA Times and the New York Post and, you know, Wyoming this and all, all over the place. It's hard just to get into that for you because people are always talking about, you know, we always write only for the Jewish community. But I don't think that that's true because a lot of our articles, anyone's articles, most writers could write to anybody if they're giving a good message. So oh, sure. So do you find that hard have gotten into or? It is hard. Some of it has happened without my even knowing about it. For example, the LA Times reposted an article of mine from Aish. The wow. New York Times reposted an article of mine uh, from Aish as well. So you and write I write a lot for Aish, actually. We should make that clear that you. Yes, you, I do. I write a lot yeah. for Aish.com. Absolutely. Uh, that is like probably the bread and butter of my writing nowadays. You know, I do a lot for Jewish press and AMI and Jewish home. I was doing a lot. I had several columns, but now I'm really working a lot with H.com. Thank God. They're wonderful, wonderful. Uh, but I think that when the, when the topics are universal, it's about being a human. 
You don't yeah, even have that's to exactly what I feel. You know what I mean? But somebody was saying at one point, somebody was giving this whole talk to writers and she was saying, well, you can't write to, you know, to the open community because of the, all these stereotypes of the leftists and the, and, 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 and I said, you're wrong. I said, if you stick to who you are and you're giving your message, which is a unique message, it's coming from a Jewish heart. Mm -hmm. I said, why wouldn't you do that? And she couldn't understand what I was trying to say, but I'm really very, very strong about it that we, if we keep to our roots and if we are, you know, respectful of who we are, yes, then we could write and it could be read anywhere. Yes, agreed, 100%. I do think that there is validity to what your friend is saying in terms of it's a balance and not everybody is going to accept work from an Orthodox Jewish perspective, 100%. So, so there is validity to what she is saying, but I do think that there is something that is universal enough that everyone can appreciate. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. And I also said that sometimes you have to have a gather anyways. You have to make yourself a, a border and say, do I want to be writing for that? You know, right. if, that, if they can't accept what I am, then obviously their, you know, their vision of the world is much different than mine. So... Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I also just speaking of, is it hard to penetrate the LA Times? You know, I was emailing with someone there and I had a story that I wanted to bring to light. And he turned and he very honestly said to me, you know, I think we want it from their perspective themselves. Like, why don't you have them reach out and tell us that story? I said, absolutely. So it's for me, it's not about I have to be the one to share the story. If there's a great story out there, I don't care if it's me or someone else or the person themselves. I just want to get positive messaging out there and, and stories of resilience and stories of, of just- that, I think that's another important thing to bring out. Where, what is your key message? You know, when we write, when you write a book of such, you know, a big book like that, you have to have one key message that you're trying always to bring out and to get that message across. What do you, what would you say your key message is? So I think a lot of the messaging in all types of things that I'm writing, whether it's an article on marriage or an article on parenting or any sort of book that I'm writing, I think what it really boils down to is that desire to feel happy and satiated inside and feeling like what we have is enough and feeling that who we are is enough. And then, you know, in the book that I had recently written, is it ever enough? There's a section called you know, that's enough out of you, which is a whole section on difficult people and difficult relationships. I think that what kids actually, really, yes, and, and parenting. And I think when you strip everything else away, it's about being the simcha with ourselves. And that requires thought process. And that requires changing the way that we think and opening up our perspective. You know, simcha is sham moach. Where are your thoughts? And when you really uncover where your thoughts are, you start to feel happier and and focus your thoughts on happier things and i think underlying it all that's really what i'm saying and then i the truth is there's another message that i think is very prevalent and maybe it's a little bit more prevalent in the first book that i wrote which is called small choices big changes which is a little bit more you know motiv motivating yourself to action and i think that when i look back on my life and I think about all the major turning points in my life, it really boiled down to saying yes. And to saying yes, 
before I was ready to say yes. You know, along the lines when you asked me, how did I start writing? So it's funny because I had submitted an article to the Jewish Home, which is a paper here in LA. Someone said, oh, you should write to them. Okay, fine. So I wrote them an article, sent it in. And after writing that first article and that first article being published, the editor called me up. I remember I was loading the dishwasher in my kitchen. Okay. I'm on the phone while I'm loading dishes. And he's like, do you want to write a column? And I'm thinking, right? Right. I had that hesitation because the cri critic inside of me was doing the calculations and was like, you can't write a column, right? I've only written, you know, a couple articles here and they take forever. You know, it takes weeks, a month to write one article. So I'm like, well, how many times would I have to do this a month? And he says twice a month and I'm calculating and I'm like, no, no, don't do it. You can't do it. You don't have time, right? That's the critic. But my mouth just formed the word yes. And I said, yeah, I'll do it. And the same thing with speaking earlier, many years prior when I, I had, it's funny, I was actually asked to substitute for Robertson Leacon. This was very last minute for the Jewish Enrichment Center and they just needed somebody desperately. And I was only 20 years old when they asked me. And when they found out my age, they're like, oh my gosh, we don't want her. No, she's only 20, no way. <laughs> but it went well. And they asked me actually to go to Israel, to lead trips. I went with my husband, with my son. I was their female speaker. But after that trip to Israel, so I gave probably three or four lectures on that, on that trip throughout Eretz Israel, came home and they said, okay, we want to hire you. We want you twice a week to give a lecture. Again, I'm doing the whole calculation. Wait a minute. I only have four lectures under my belt. I don't know how I'm going to find the time. No. And then I just said, sure, I'll do it. I didn't know how with both the writing and the speaking. I didn't know when. I didn't know what I was going to do. But I said, yes, I did not allow that critic to stop me. That voice. It, it's a voice. It's a very strong voice. It's, I, 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 I was interviewing someone else earlier today and we were talking about different businesses and how we keep, how young girls are entering the business world and how they should, you know, how to give them the the courage to do things and not to feel, you know, what happens if I don't succeed? I'm going to be a failure. And, you know, and I was saying, but you know something, the failures that you have and all the things that is what makes you into who you become as a successful person because you failed. Definitely. But you know, it's funny. We are not only terrified of failing. We're also terrified of success. If you think about it, we are afraid of all sorts of change, whether it's good or bad, or how am I going to be big enough to be that successful person? You know, that's why many women have the imposter syndrome, you know, when they become successful, because we, we deep down, we're kind of scared of success too. Yeah, we are actually, you're right. You're hundred percent right. Yeah, I never thought of it. So that way, but that's if, really if it's lose-lose either way, if it's fear-fear either way, go for the gold, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, Funny, that, so now let's say, let's say we're going to give somebody who's listening sure. to us and who's really impressed, I am going to get myself up. I'm going to do this. What would, we, what would the advice that you would give her? Yeah, it's actually, I think it's advice from Mel Robbins. I don't know if you've heard of her. She's a motivational speaker. She's very famous here in America. And she calls it her five second rule, where she says, you count down from five. And I've used this before. And I cannot tell you how many life changing things have happened for me personally from this little five second rule. 
Basically, your brain will come up with a way to stop you if you do not act within five seconds. So you count down from five, five, four, three, two, one, like a rocket ship, you press send, you make the call, you do the thing that you're afraid to do, even if it's a tiny action. And that little spark of motivation creates the ball rolling. You know, a body in motion That's stays right. in motion. And a body at rest will stay at rest. So you just got to get that activation energy, like a rocket ship, count down from five, say, I'm doing it. I'm telling you, this is how I actually uh, started speaking for Pesach programs was from that five second rule. I made the call, you know, and it's funny right now. I really like that one. Really great. Literally. uh, Coming up to the end, I don't want to, I don't want it to go off before we get to the end. For sure. Before we get to the end, I just want you to, you know, tell us first of all where we could get your books. Do you do you know are they still in public publishing? What what what's the so on Amazon.com they are available. Most major Jewish bookstores. I don't know about the distribution in the UK. I I believe there are definitely stores with it. I don't know which one though, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, Amazon has it. I also actually have a distribution project where different sponsors will reach out to me and uh, donate books for lectures that I give. I'm actually speaking in Denver on Tuesday. That's fully committed in terms of sponsorship, but that has been really successful. And to me, one of the, the best parts of that is someone will approach me and they'll say, hey, I received a book at your lecture and my husband and I, uh, you know, I decided to start lighting candles and my husband and I are using a technique from your book for marital harmony. And to me, that's everything because then it's not just about me sharing Torah. It's about the whole world kind of joining together and saying, that's let's get Torah to people who may not normally. Sarah, really beautiful. And yeah. I'm really, really excited that we finally, finally got to touch base, talk. Thank you. And you could definitely read Sarah's, first of all, in our last magazine. That's the last one. And Beautiful. we are also going to have it in our next magazine. And I'm really working very slyly at her becoming our <laughs> fixture of a writer because she's fabulous. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited that we met. So thank you very much, Sarah, for coming. And everybody else, I'll see you next week when we have another great um, interview on the Uplift podcast. Thank you. Bye.